It was a passion of mine to be able to empower people, to pick up and develop themselves, to find things they never knew existed, tap into that and manifest their destiny. Really go out and create a world that they never knew could exist. So my personal fulfillment is watching that magic happen, watching employees who never dreamed that they could excel and succeed, um, reach dreams and watch them rise up throughout the ranks. Caution, you will begin to love your 9 to 5 with this show. Join us as we explore and discover your unique strengths and learn to apply them to your daily business activities with your host, Shmuel Septimus. Just before we get to this week's episode, I just want to share with you the exciting news that behind the scenes I've been working with Adam Lieberman from episode number 7, working on creating a sales training course together and is now available on Udemy. You can go straight to schmallseptimist.com slash course. Again, schmallseptimist.com slash course to get your discounted price for only 10 bucks. All I'd ask in return is that you leave us a nice, honest review on Udemy, which is something that's very easy to do. Thank you so much for taking the time and going to that link, schmallseptimist.com slash course. And now for this week's episode. I'm excited to introduce to you today our guest, our guest today is Yitzhak Kornblum. Yitzhak is the COO, the Chief Operating Officer of URA, and you may have heard of Cards for Kids, which is also operated by Yitzhak. Yitzhak, thank you for giving us some time today, and welcome to the show. Thank you, Shmuel. It's a pleasure to be here. All right. Well, we're glad to have connected. Now, if you don't mind, before we get too much into the interview and into our conversation, can you let our listeners learn a little bit more about yourself personally? and professionally, how you got to where you are right now? Well, I started my career working with teens at risk. This is going back a couple decades ago. Um, it was a passion of mine to be able to empower people, to pick up and develop themselves, to find things they never knew existed, um, tap into that and manifest their destiny. Really go out and create a world that they never knew could exist. Um, and that was scintillating. That was empowering. It was an incredible experience. I did that for about two decades, um, building myself up in that career also from lecturer to administration. I actually ran my own program for quite a few years. Um, then I went to a lecture circuit, going to other programs and um, enabling those programs to be more effective and more um, successful in their endeavors um, and also mentoring to a larger crowd. Um, I ran small businesses on the side during that period. I was a writer. Uh, I wrote 12 books. Um, I um, had a journal which I published that was uh, locally uh, to uh, 1,200 subscriptions. Uh, a lot of smaller endeavors which I was involved in. Essentially, uh, we got to a point where I, uh, I, this offer came up. This is about four, almost four years ago, uh, being CEO of Uro, uh, which is the daughter company of Cars for Kids. Uh, affiliated to Cars for Kids, and um, I took that on. And um, over the last so three years, 10 months, um, it's grown. And uh, I now oversee the operations in Ura, and I'm very involved in the operations of Cars for Kids. And uh, it's, it's the, the shift for me was instead of development of pupils, is development of staff. Um, a lot of my time is spent on empowering managers to be able to empower their employees to get the most to help them succeed, to help departments become more successful. Um, that's the human element. I'm also in systems and processes 
um, we're state-of-the-art using metrics, using all kinds of systems, automation, AI, to be able to make the most effective systems possible. Um, you know, you think of charity, you think of people um, working for a very, you know, makeshift kind of uh, reality, but it's not. Um, things are streamlined, um, the employees are, are motivated, and there's a lot of very positive energy going on over here, and I like to contribute to that. And uh, so my personal fulfillment is watching that magic happen, watching employees who never dreamed that they could excel and succeed, um, reach dreams and watch them rise up throughout the ranks. Um, and uh, that, that's, yeah, that's a big part of which, uh, which makes me go. Okay, well, that, that is quite a bit there that we just want to unpack a little bit. But first of all, you very casually mentioned that you wrote 12 books. Congratulations mm -hmm. on you. that. Um, that. That is fascinating. And if we can, maybe I'll put a link to that in the show notes. For the listeners who are not aware of what either of those organizations are, can you just explain briefly what does the URA do? Fantastic. Because the URA is a, an outreach program, a Jewish outreach program, which helps reach Jewish families um, throughout America to help you know, bring them close to their heritage, um, offering financial assistance, offering um, aid for school, offering um, different kinds of, of facilitations to enable them to uh, have a more um, fulfilling, um, say, Jewish experience. Well, they can really get in touch with who they are on a deep level. I can actually are, mention to you. A void a lot of people find today, and this is, I think, one of the reasons that Uru was created, um, America is a, is, a, is a beautiful place. And a lot of people do get lost with uh, so many distractions and they lose their personal identity. Um, you know, America doesn't have one of the highest happiness rates in the world uh, per capita of people. Now, do you have a system that measures that with your yeah, uh... metrics? We try and uh, see if people are, um, find their lives more fulfilled. Again, it's it's much it's very granular. How could you determine happiness? I mean, there's effective outcomes. That's a beautiful uh, model where they do that, and I've been trying to wrap my head around that to see how we can employ it within our world to see if we're how much we're really impacting people. But um, but that's still in the in, in the I say infancy stages. But it's, we're leading into that kind of direction to see how much. Um, quality we're actually to, able to you know, bring people um, so I am obviously very familiar with the with with a lot of the work uh, you know that you mentioned here and you mentioned that earlier in your career you've been more mentoring with students and pupils and helping them develop and f discover their own skills develop them and actually realize them in the real world and now you've kind of shifted to the world of developing staff departments systems and making those work in the best possible way. Now, you have a unique workforce where many of them have a background similar to mine where they've spent many years studying Talmud in depth and they have to kind of, they have to um, insert themselves into the workforce at a high level in order to compensate for some of their larger families. What would you say is the biggest challenge facing someone coming from that type of background and what do you think are perhaps the biggest advantages that they have over someone else coming from a more traditional college-educated background? Fantastic. I just want to address one more point because, you know, as you mentioned the question, uh, a, a reality hit me. Why would I go from teens at risk to outreach? Um, the answer is that when I was working with teens at risk in Israel, I was getting kids who were on a plethora of drugs from broken families. Um, children who were abused, uh, the, all kinds of 
um, very challenging circumstances. And what I noticed is that Ura would send us kids that they work with, and um, they were so much better adjusted. They had a structure, their background, had a backbone. Um, these kids were much more successful from the onset until um, after they left the program. Um, they had that family, and um, it sold me. I said, wow, i got to be a part of this. And um, that, that's what, that was a bridge. So anyway, getting back to this point. Once I know, let's put my question on hold for a moment. Yeah. Um, let, let's go into that for a minute. Why do you think there was such a big difference? Because what is support? You have a big brother system. And there are many charities that do that, Christian and Muslim charities, very valuable charities that offer big brother support. What does that mean? It means that a lot of these kids don't have necessarily the family structure to back them up. They don't have the social structure. Um, what Ura does is it creates a very potent social structure for these families. Um, so as the kids raise that camps, summer camps, over a thousand kids um, that come to these camps, um, and they're hours away from these children's homes. Um, they have throughout the year chill zones where children every week participate in these functions. They have a program called Torah Mates where um, people mentor up with um, adults and children. You have thousands of those. Um, and yeah, I've been doing that myself for, I think it's almost eight years now. And it's a support system. These kids came, um, unlike their peers, they came with a tremendous support system. And um, they left with that support system. So they were never abandoned. And that, that support system meant the world to them. It cannot be stated highly enough how much a support system is vital and crucial to a person. And um, that's what we're offering um, for a lot of these families. So, so that could be another whole conversation. But let's move on to, to the career part of this conversation. So, again, getting back to the question is when we have the Kolol fellows, the people who had spent their time uh, years, sometimes you know, maybe even a decade or two, in Talmud study, and then they're coming into the workforce needing to start at a very high level. What do you think are their biggest challenges and the biggest advantages they have going for themselves? See, you make a good point. It's important to frame what is Kolo, um, you know, in the typical system, typical family, a person goes to elementary school, they go to high school, and they go to college, or they don't go to college, they go straight to a vocation. Um, in Kolo, the mentality is, no, um, you go to yeshiva, which has, of course, English studies. You go to a high school, which has, of course, English studies but a large focus of the day is on religious studies. And a person, instead of going to college, or instead of going to vocational school or to a prep or even get a job, they go to a reality where they're studying Talmud um, as an exclusive focus. That is their day, that is their night, that is their world. And they can spend years, until 25, 30 years old in that, in that structure. They're supported by their families, they're supported by special stipends that the community offers them. Um, but at the end of the day, when that person gets to the point when they want to be able to um, be independent, support their families, uh, not everybody could use that experience to be able to generate the, pro the proper income. Many people do go into rabbinic rabbi careers, and many people do go into careers that that education can help foment a better future for them. But, but uh, there are also quite a few um, who don't have that opportunity, and they have to hit the workforce. Um, the unique problem that they have is that they don't have, they have the disadvantage of not having that college education, the disadvantage of not having that um, background um, um, of focusing on um, creating an income to support a family. Um, I'm going to write this point pretty rejoinder in. I'm going to qualify that statement, actually. Um, you said, what's the advantage of being in Kolel? Um, the advantage of being in Kolel, which does benefit many of these people, is what are they doing for that period they're in Kolel, whether it's one or five or eight, ten, who knows how many years they're sitting there, is that they're involved in rigorous intellectual debates, pursuits, um, uh, 
and rigorous is really also an understatement. <laughs> You're spending your entire day um, on, on finite points, on clarifying and, and, and weeding out um, inconsistencies and falsehoods. And um, when these people hit the workforce, they found there were studies in Hebrew, Hebrew University in Jerusalem, um, they often had a, an advantage over a person that came with secular, just secular education because um, it's not as rigorous necessarily. There are people in the, of course, in secular world, regular high school, they have a rigorous pursuit. But being that the, the volume is honed at so much higher on that pursuit and on the, on the rigor and on the, 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 the intensity, um, these people came in with their brain muscles flexed to a very high degree and they were able to have that up end. So the, the downside is they don't have the proper education um, necessarily to fall into careers that could give them the, the proper financial background um, support they need. But the upside is that they do have that rigorous um, advantage of, of having their brains home. A brain is, could be considered like a muscle. Um, as you get older, it becomes harder to learn new things. One of the things, there are studies behind this, you can Google this, that if you, if you continue working on a part of your brain, um, that part will become made healthy and can get actually developing, come sharper with age. Um, a person that's 19, uh, 23, 25, you can still always learn and develop. But a person gets 30, 40 years old, it becomes much harder. But if you continue with certain pursuits, intellectual pursuits, your brain maintains that elasticity and that ability to be able to hone it on very um, specific disciplines that many other people that age can't do. So, um, so it's a person actually could be 30 years old, hit Colel, and boom, and still have that 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 rigor and vigor of someone much younger than them, um, and have the tools and the muscle, the brain muscle, be able to accomplish that. Okay, I mean another point, obviously, you know, that was mentioned is that besides for the challenge of not having some of the tools, some of the skills, um, some of the skills, meaning technical skills, and and even being somewhat secluded from the general population. Uh, but in, uh, in addition to that is that a regular person w- who goes to a re- the regular college route can start at, you know, at a starting salary and can slowly work their way up without having any real responsibility, real financial responsibility, as opposed to someone who's coming out of COLA and they're 30 years old or 25 or 35 or whatever it is, and they already have um, a wife or children to support and they have private school tuitions to pay. So th- their starting salary needs to start very high with couple that with a lack of experience, that, that creates a very challenging um, situation. Now, I, I know, what were you going to say? Go ahead. Oh, no, the, the magic word here is crushing. Um, a person hits the, the workforce at 22, 23 years old. They're not married. Um, they can start a, sal- a starting salary, $30,000, $35,000. By the time they get married and have a few children, they're up, they're up $45,000, $50,000. They're up already in that league and for a regular family, you have two people working, one's making 40, one's making, one's making, both making 40, 50, whatever it is. Wow, you know, you could, you could actually get by with that. And um, great, but um, someone that goes to Colel, often they, by the time they hit work, they already have four or five, if not more children. Um, and you mentioned a very valid point, um, public school, um, we, um, Orthodox Jews um, um, are very particular in having that religious education. So they send to religious schools um, and those cost a lot of money. And it's, li- it's literally a private school. Uh, so you have this person who has, could be $20,000, $25,000, which is college level tuitions, <laughs> all right? And they, they're hitting the workforce already having to support that just for their little children. And mm-hmm. as the kids get older, it gets more, gets more you know. So $50,000 is not gonna cut it for them. 
they need a job. They have to hit the workforce making eighty thousand dollars already, if not more. And it's 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 a non-realistic entity. And that because of that, the vast majority of people that I'm aware of when they hit the workforce, they're not prepared for it and they're not surviving. And it's brutal. Like I said, the word is crushing. Yeah. Okay. So so this is why I'm really really excited that we're having this conversation. I haven't really shared this with my listeners before, but. Um, I actually don't know you as well as I know myself, but that is exactly the background that I came from and why I had to jump into nursing home administration without having been on a payroll before or been outside or been exposed. But in general, if if we want, let's talk directly to somebody who has just begun this transition and just is taking on his own financial responsibility and is whatever financial support systems are trying out and he knew the time is coming and he's trying to figure out which direction to go into. I, I, know that, I know that you've worked with some of these people within your organization and I'm curious to know for, in a, maybe a little bit more broadly, if you have any suggestions, tools um, to make such a person as successful as they can be. You know, it's, it's interesting. I, I told you my past. I've written books. I've lectured in colleges. I've, I've ran my own school. Which was a, a college credited school, believe it or not. Um, I never graduated high school. <laughs> I'm the CEO okay. of the organization. Why? Because many of my friends didn't graduate high school. When you get to that age, you leave high school, leave, you drop out, and you go to yeshiva. So a lot of these people don't even have high school diplomas. Some of them do, some, a lot of them don't. And I mean, it's funny, I, I recently looked at a GED test, I'd probably, I can get 100 on it. You know what I'm saying? I literally just went over it. I do it with my children, they come to me with all the questions, I have teenagers. And I, I just helped with it. I read the book to the book. I just know, you know, I learned all these things as time went on. But um, I really should do it. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, I've studied quantum physics and, and I, I enjoy this kind of stuff, but that's, that's the side point. But at the end of the day, the reality is, is that, yeah, okay, you have a disadvantage. You have a disadvantage. You could succumb to that or you could, you could take that and you could charge forward. I am a firm believer that there's nothing you can't do. Never, never succumb to a reality um, because it looks challenging. Um, and that belief has carried me um, throughout my life and has enabled me to do many of the things that I never, if you told me when I was 20 years old, I'd be overseeing 300 employees, I think you're nuts. Um, but it's the reality is there. You can do it if you set your brain to it. Um, I want to I say one point, if I may interject. I might take the microphone for a bit over here. Um, Go ahead. You could be... You can create advantage for yourself through simple perspectives that many people don't know. Um, and I, I, I use this as an example. What can you do to make yourself more valuable? What, it's your commodity at the end of the day. You want to make yourself valuable to a potential employer to hire you. So an employer looks out and he looks at candidates, potential employees, um, as a commodity to help his business grow. What can make you stand out? All right, so people have nice resumes and people go out and they do creative things and they, they have coaching and speech coaching. That's all nice. But I'm going to tell you this, there's certain tools you can gain that can put you ahead of the pack in significant ways. Um, and okay. uh, one example I use is, when I, mean, I say make yourself more valuable, how could you make yourself more valuable? Well, I've never been an employer. I've never been in that position. What do I want? How, how do I know what an employer is going to want? So I give an example. Imagine if you make a great falafel. Oh, your falafel is divine. It is off the charts. And you go out and you make it for your friends and you make it for parties. They're like, oh man, Jack, you got to make a restaurant. 
And another friend says, Jack, man, your falafel is, is, is it's, it's insane. It's crazy. You got to do this. So Jack gets up and Jack opens his falafel restaurant. He finds a cheap location. It's small. And he puts out some signs and some friends visit there. And his friends tell some other friends. And if he knows how to make good falafel. He knows his customer service. He keeps the place clean. He keeps it nice. And his business starts picking up. What's the first problem Jack's going to encounter? He can't do it. There's no way in the world he can do this whole thing himself. Soon enough, as customers start flowing in, the restaurant becomes dirty. He can't keep the trays filled with food. He can't keep the cash. Everybody's waiting. They're getting frustrated. So he has to hire somebody. Who's Jack going to hire? He's going to hire someone who hopefully he's going to try and find something that's valuable, but he hires someone for whatever it is, you know, the hopefully above minimum wage. He gives that person the salary. Person comes in. He says, you're a floor person. I need you to focus on tables and on filling and restocking the, the food by the, by the counter, by the food counter, because I can't. I just don't have the patience for that anymore. These things and stuff, I'll take care of cost relations, I'll take care of the food, I'll take care of the register. And the kid comes the first day, and the second day, and a week and a half later, he has to tell, listen, you know, you know, uh, Ben, you got a <laughs> the table, he didn't do the table, you know, and he's just on his phone in the corner. He's like, Ben, man, the, the, the tomatoes ran out. Ben, fill the tomato leaves, I can't keep on reminding you. Ben, come on, you know, you, you got to do it. You have to clean the counter over here. I can't work on a dirty counter. What's Ben's problem? What's the problem? Ben's lazy? Ben doesn't care? You know what Ben's problem is? Ben's not the owner. The owner cares. That's how the owner's gonna give his life, his blood, his, his heart in order to make the business succeed. Ben's an employee. He wants to work around to five, he wants to get the money, go home, and, and have his life. Now, there are employees who do put more into it and have a better work ethic, but at the end of the day, they're not the owner. Okay. How do you make yourself valuable? How do you make yourself stand out? ownership here's the key word man if you can get this down you could stand out amongst the pack ownership whatever the boss throws your way he knows it's done no confirmation i used to have, that's a personal rule of mine when someone gives you something to do i don't even bother confirming i do it they know it's done they don't have to wait for confirmation because they know it's done the second you give something to me it's going to be done that's my work ethic and because of that people trust me my colleagues trust me my employees trust me, my employers trust me, whoever I work with, because they know it's going to get done. When you have that kind of ethic, the boss looks at you, you're priceless. You're worth your weight in gold. That's the key. Your first job, you get that, boom! It's not just that they like you, they need you. Because what's the boss, what's the first thing on his mind? He doesn't want to think about the tables. <coughs> he doesn't want to think about the, the counters. He doesn't want to think about the register, and he's going to get to the point where he's not going to want to think about making falafels. He wants to build a second business. And if he has someone on the falafel counter that owns those falafels and he owns that responsibility, you're worth, any, you're worth more than anything to that boss. And, and there are people like that, not, not a, a high enough percentage of them. You can't become an outlier and ace that. Now, that's step number one. You say to yourself, well, I have to get the job. How do you before I get the job? I'm gonna tell you a story. My, I, came, I met a kid in the mall four years ago. I was shopping. I met a student. This kid, his parents were separated. He was abandoned for a while. Whole story. He's getting his life back together again. Good kid. And I meet him in the mall. Big hug. What's going on? Oh, you know. And he said, so what are you doing here? And he said, well, yeah, I'm looking for a job. I said, awesome. Let's, let's talk about it. You know, let's, let's talk it through. Let's see what's going on. He said, well, uh, what happened is, is that I, I'm in this mall all day long. I went to every single business, business to business. And I only have one lead. I said, let's talk about that lead. What, 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 why was that lead unique? He said, well, I'll tell you. When I was a kid, I used to go shopping there. <laughs> I had fun memories of the place. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So when I went to the boss, I told him, I said, you know, I used to go shopping. I used to love this place. What is the boss hearing? He's right. going to own his job. And it, but it, not just own his job, but, but he hurt sincerity. I can go up to you and say, you know something, Shmuel? You're a great guy. I, I, I love everything you do. You know, the Del Carnegie effect. You don't believe me. But if it's sincere, the boss is going to feel it. I tell candidates, before you go for a job, any job, take at least a day. And if you're serious, take a week. Research that job. Learn what it's about. Become passionate about it. When you come to the interview, don't effuse um, non-sincerity. Relate sincerity. <laughs> so you did. I like this. You know, I want to be a part of it. I'll be honest with you. I have five jobs on the table right now. This is the one I want to work out because I like this, 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 this. And I'm passionate about it. Yeah, but as you know, you can't fake sincerity. You, can't, you have to really believe it. That's just don't spend a day. Spend a week if you can. If you can't spend a day, but at least spend some time. Become passionate about it. If you're going to go in there, you're going to give a guy lip service, a little woman lip service, boom, you're not going to get anywhere. Go in and give that person sincerity. Become passionate about it. Express that to the person. And when you get through the door, when you're going to get through a door. When you get through the door, to the same path. My, one of my sons went to work, and he took a job managing a wine store. And his boss um, loved him. He really loved him because my son has this workout. He, he, he loves it. After like a year, my son said, you know, I'm leaving that. And he went to a different job, and the boss was decimated. He said to me, he said, what can I do to get your son back? So my son quit on you. <laughs> he dumped you. He gave you a week notice, but why would you, I think, why would you run back? Said, I've never had anybody like this before. He, he really cared about the business. I'd come into the store, he wouldn't see me, he'd be like dusting things down. <laughs> he, he felt, he really felt, he, he owned it. That's what it's about. Let people see your passion about what's passion, they're passionate about. Here is the key common denominator. The owner is passionate about his business. If you can start your relationship by infusing a corollary sink, a common denominator to the owner that you also have, not necessarily passion, don't fake it, but interest, the sincere interest in the business, that's step number one. Step number two, when you get through that door, show ownership. If the boss, I'm telling you, if the boss sees that whatever sent to you is done without confirmation, you become priceless and you're going to get promoted. If the boss is a, is a, is a decent human being, they're going to promote you. And that's just the reality of life. And I've had people here in this organization, um, they've grown tremendously from that. Thank you so much for, for sharing all that. And just, just to recap, um, for someone who has these challenges um, of you know, having the background that we, we've described and the advantages and the challenges of that background, and this really can apply, I think, more broadly to anyone who's trying to get their foot into the door of a career, which they're not really familiar with and they don't have any real connections. So really just by taking ownership of whatever the job is, that's once you have the job and coming across in an authentic way, showing the passion that you have for that job and for that career, for that interest and that particular offer that's on the table can really you know, push you that much further. Now, at the same time, this can also, uh, this can compound the challenge that we discussed earlier because if you need to start your first job at $80,000, you, so you or you need to get up there really quickly, even if that's not your first job, but you can't wait five years to get promoted, and you don't have a passion for whatever it is that happens to offer that type of compensation, you might be, have the skills to do it, and you might have the connections to get the job, or you might have the charisma to get the job, but if you're not really passionate about it, then what's going to end up happening, that even if you could get through the door and get the job, and you're stuck in that $80,000 job and you're not going anywhere. You know, you're saying a good point. 
you know, I'm, I, it's hard to change a system and I'm not here to change a system. You know, I value everybody's choices. If someone feels it's valuable for them to go and spend five years in a cold environment, it's a beautiful thing because that's something they're passionate about. A thought comes to mind. Perhaps maybe people take an hour a day. You do it two hours a week, three hours a week. It's not that much time. Take online courses, all right? Pad yourself. So by the time you leave that environment, that, that cocoon, and you, you're in the real world, and it's windy, and it's, 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 it's inclement weather, <laughs> you're, you're not exposed and bare. You're coming out with something. You know, it doesn't, I'll tell you, they, they have a lot of very, very effective and, and valuable online courses. It usually takes two years, a year or two years to get something. You spread out throughout four or five years, you can still get it. All right, so spend your five years in code, but by the time you're done, come out with something. The value of that, you know, a CPA, someone that comes with an MBA, for example, and they want to go for a CPA. Someone that comes out, MBA is harder, more time, but at least you come out with bachelor's <laughs> in something. Um, uh, you're, at least, you're, you're at least a step ahead of where you would be. Um, it's a thought process, but you know, you're making a good point. And let's say that's not the proper thing, but a person doesn't want to do that. The reality is, is that most people struggle. They do struggle. You know, and, um, and it's, it's a daunting challenge. You know, is there, is there a magic answer to that? No. Is there advice to help these people out? Yes, there is advice. Like I said, there's, there's different approaches you can take, which apply to everybody. You know, another thought came to my mind. When it comes to ownership, um, there's fear. A lot of times we don't believe that we can do things. We don't believe in ourselves. And, you know, uh, there's a famous actor, Will Smith. He says, everything you want in life is on the other side of fear. All right, your fear is what's preventing you from attaining most of your dreams. And it's a and I'll just add to that your fear is also pointing exactly where your growth opportunities are. Fantastic, small. I agree with that a billion percent. And here you are, and you have your a picture of what you'd like to do, and you, you believe you believe deep down inside that you can do it. But the second you pick up that phone, the second you start typing that email, can't do it anymore. All of that rush of energy trickles down and you're left with a little puddle of lack of, which is whatever resolve you have left, you just can't do it. Why? Because I'm, I'm scared. I, I'm scared of failure. But I always say to people, I say, right now you have nothing. You have zero. What do you have to lose? Someone's going to say no to you? <laughs> it, 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 it's a bruised ego, a drop for bruised ego. How many times I would have said no to, but I kept on pushing. People will say no to you. But each time it gets a little bit easier. But then when they start saying yes, all you need is one yes, that's all you need. Capitalize on it. Milk it, extract it. Get to the point where that one yes turns into your biggest opportunity. Um, but, that, but, but again, I've, people, you have individuals sitting in the workforce, they land their job and they get comfortable and they come up to me and I had this, I have it here where I live now, I had it in other places. I said, what do I do? You know, I, I, my, my boss is not promoting, not giving me the opportunity to be able to grow. He said, well, I want you to tell me one thing this year he gave you that you felt you couldn't do. Or one, any, or did he get a different approach? Did he give you any opportunities this year? Did he give you any chances to prove yourself? Everybody does. He always, something, something out of your realm. And often they'll say something. Yeah, he gave me this. And, but it was just too hard. Or I didn't know what to do. Or it was too, it was, it was, it, it required a skill set that I didn't have. And, you know, what am I, what am I, 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 you know, I couldn't do it. I said, there it was. 
like a passing train. Exactly. I mean, you would you promote such a person? I wouldn't. And what I what I and I've spoken to these people, and I said, listen, I said, next time that happens, look at that opportunity and say, what does this opportunity need for me to be able to master it? Does it need a, a, a doctorate in neuroscience? <laughs> does it need what does it need? Does it need is it that after, do I have to, does it need like you know a, a, an aerospace engineer? No, it just needs some thought. It so needs thought and throw yourself around it, wrap your brain around it, figure it out. I'll go a step further. Don't even ask your boss how to do it. Try and figure, you know, Google is your best friend. There's nothing you can't learn on Google nowadays. I'm telling you, you can fix your own car, but I wouldn't do it myself. There's nothing you can't do on Google. Google it, figure it out, and come back to your boss with the finished product. Awesome. I mean, I mean this is real, just to tie a couple of things together, um, I've had Pat Flynn on the show before. I don't know if you've heard of him. Um, I've actually gone through his podcasting online course, which is how we're having this conversation right, right. now. And that's, of course, after I consumed anything that was free first. <laughs> uh, but after that, when I realized that I needed something a little bit more organized, a little bit more in depth for a fraction of one semester in college, um, I got step, you know, really step by step by someone who has millions and millions of downloads you know, to his episodes and several very, very successful shows. Um, you know, and I was able to have the podcast. I was actually able to have him come on the show a little while back as well. But he shares, I don't think it was on that episode, but he shares an incident from his previous life as an architect when he was at some big corporate meeting where he was just the newbie who was privileged to join the meeting, but he was there really just to make it look more official and not really to share that much information. And there was a certain job that they wanted done in a new way and they wanted certain animation uh, done to show how the project would really look. And they're like, can you guys do this? And he doesn't even know why. He propped up, sure, of course we could do that. Didn't even understand fully what the requirements were. Uh, certainly didn't know how to do it. And he knew that there was a short timeline and his job was on the line if he didn't do it correctly. But he said, you know, was I scared? Of course, I was petrified. But I knew that this is my opportunity to show that I can really know how to get to the next level. And guess what he did? He hopped onto Google and went, you know, spoke to whoever he could speak to, read, watched, did whatever he could do. He was able to do it and get it done. Um, I, I think that this might be one of the advantages that maybe not everyone who comes from this background realizes is that we're not, um, many people who've come through the COLA background are not trained to solve problems by opening up a manual and, mm -hmm. and by going and, you know, understanding how this came to evolve and, uh, it's it's more you know very practical how to as opposed to I think I once heard in a lecture. So someone who learns that way, um, I mean especially now with 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 Google and you know with everything that's available online, there, there's nothing that anyone cannot do to the extent that they're interested in doing whatever it is. So for someone who's thrown into a position or a job or a field a career that they're not excited about they're not motivated enough. It's just the fear and stress of their bills, which is pushing them. That's not going to get them to really get to the next level. Bingo. Which is kind of, we don't have time to go into this further because this is already uh, past our allotted time. But hey, the we'll, point we'll, we'll is... Okay, finish up, yeah? No, but, but the point is that if you can find, regardless of whatever background and whatever education you've had, but if you can find yourself in a position... Uh, e either in your job or either, either on the side or bringing whatever skill set you really care about into your job and find meaning and passion and excitement in that, then you will do whatever it takes. You'll be able to take real ownership because then that's you and that's yours.
Fantastic. I'm gonna add one, uh, two, one more thought, and then I'm going to finish off. What are people going to ask you to do already? You see a job opening. You're not sure you can do it. What's the job going to entail? Do you have to be Flash Gordon to take that job? Is it a job that's only meant for Superman? It's only, only Spidey can do it? it? That's it. We have a job that only Spidey can do. The humans can't do this job. No, it's going to be a human job. It's a job that's meant for people. If people can do it, you could do it. I'm not talking about being a doctor. Right? I'm not talking about I'm the catch me if you can scenario. We're talking about an individual who, who could, is an old person. If it's a doctor that doesn't have a specific skill set that is beyond you, you can do it and just do it. And the key is there's nothing you can't do if you set your head to it. Nothing. Awesome. If there's a job awesome. out there, you can accomplish it and believe in yourself. Uh, Shmuel, you're awesome. This is a great podcast. I really appreciate the, this opportunity. And uh, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. And I really appreciate um, you know you sharing your perspective. I know some of our listeners are not familiar with a lot of the concepts or the organizations or maybe even the examples that we gave. Uh, I know we both really uh, used a concerted effort to try to make this um, as understandable to everybody. But there's definitely so much content that was just shared right now that can definitely uh, be shared and applied and implemented regardless of whatever background uh, you might come from and it could really help propel it to propel our listeners to the next level so thank you so much for your time thank you so much. Have a great day